Hey punters and welcome to Inside 50 and what a superstar guest we have this week. 364 games for the Bulldogs, a six-time All-Australian including captain of the All-Australian team, a triple best and fairest winner in the Bulldogs team of the century. A very warm welcome to the man affectionately known as the smiling assassin, Brad Johnson. G'day Jono. Winnie, Croft, great to be with you guys. Jono, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you. You know, normally I do the introductions, but um, I stuffed it up last week. I heard that. <laughs> uh, well, I've never done an introduction in my life. Quinny's just said, there you go. I'm like, I don't know. Well, they what did play together for him? 10 years, Joe. I thought they might have been able to have a chat for a minute. Yeah, I, I would have worked it, mate, because he used to play on his toes, you know, sort of twinkle toes, Fred Flintstone style. You know, smile and assassin, I agree with that. He's always up for little cheapies. But, you know, we, what cheapies as in little cheap handballs around the back? Is no, that what you're saying? No, or? no, no, no. Like in the back. You know, you were one to throw a few little punches here and there. No, I'm only joking. But um, we've, we've had some wonderful guests on this show, you know, and, and Glenn Archer, you know, is one of my favourites. Um, but I know that you had a bit of an incident with Glenn Archer when in your playing days, and he's not the right person to be picking out. No, he wasn't. Field. He wasn't at the time. I, it was one of those ones where you're right in the pack. There was just a finger there, and I sort of just grabbed it. I don't know why I, why I did it. It's a bit frustrated. Probably wasn't getting a kick. Crawford. And the next thing, I'm squealing like a pig because I got pinched on my hip. Right. So, and uh, and I looked around. It was and it was Glenn Archer. Big big mistake. So you but pulled just, his finger. I pulled his finger, and he's just grabbed, done the the little yep. pinch on me. Let me go. And I had a bruise, seriously, on my hip for two and a half years. Two fingers, they were just exactly... Two and a half years. Two and a half years I had a bruise on my hip. Wow. Because he just, just grabbed me at the right, <laughs> right spot and got me... Although, Arch is a, is, a, is a... We love Arch. And did you ever tell him that? Yeah, I did. We um we actually caught up many years ago. I was with... Um, we were on holidays in Bar of all places, and he was there with his family. His flight got delayed. And he goes, oh, Jono, oh, no, I didn't see yeah, you down the beach. Yes, oh, you it. got a bruise on yeah, your head. <laughs> so what we ended up doing was his, his wife and a couple of kids, I think, got on one flight and went, and he was with, uh, I think, one one of his other children, and he had some time to kill. And Mark Arsiri was there as well. So see, we said all the, the kids on one, yes, on one plane, yes. and you just sneak onto the other. That's right. So he had some time to kill. We said, mate, you might as well just come and crash with us for a bit. So he had, had something to eat, a few drinks, and a bit of a swim at the where we were staying and, and that sort of stuff. And it was it was great to get to know him in, in, yeah. in that environment. Such a quiet, quiet man. But, um, you know, he just had that – he's got that presence about him, the, the big fella. So it was it was good to get to know, get to know him off, off the field. And when you do things like that and you have those sort of little relationships together, it, um, you know, they just sort of stick that way for – and you remember those forever. And what did he say when you told him about that story? Oh, he, he just said, laughed. I had to bruise there for two, <laughs> two years. He just laughed. He had no idea. He didn't remember it because he wasn't affected by it. <laughs> Has he still so, got a sore finger? I don't know. I don't know. I, I love playing on, on this my guy, finger. though. I, I really – Tell us about really playing on Croft. Did I, we play on each other? We did a couple of times, Croft. And I was really early, early stages of my career, and I was, I was, I was a little bit of a tagger in the in the, in the early no. days. And I had to go and play on on uh, on Croft a, a, a couple of times, and it, a running a running beast. It was it was seriously one of the the hardest tasks in footy to to stop uh, to stop Shane Crawford and I didn't get didn't get near him I, in, in the end I just thought well if Croft goes one way I might as well go the other and hope the boys turn it over so I so I can so I can and get it and that's the way you played out your career exactly so you taught me you taught me well I remember one you had an arm guard on once I, I remember um, we played it uh, at Eddie Hat at the time and you had an arm guard on I remember I tackled you and it, it came off in my hand and I'm throwing it into the end of the crowd <laughs> and I got and he ran back and I got a nice 
nice little right jab to the chin just, <laughs> just to say, you're not doing that again, son. So, would, that would have been an accident. Like, of course. That would have been an absolute accident. As, as much as quiet as he is and as, as much as he smiles and is a lovely, a lovely man, <laughs> talk about a competitor. Mate, wow. Yeah, okay. I had white line fever and I was small man syndrome and all that stuff. Yep. Uh, I was, We're about yep. the same height, Crawf. So. No, you're a lot taller than us. But I'll tell you what. Brad Johnson, you know, when you look through his career, um, it's a very decorated career. I know we're going to rewind and sort of find out where it all started from and, and where did that love. And obviously now we, we see you, we see you as a bulldog man and we've, we walked in, came uh, out of the lifts and there you were and you were just super passionate about the bulldogs doing well in the finals. You're like, okay. And I can see you're a bit nervous when you talk about the bulldogs. You know, it's normally when you retire, you sort of take a back seat, but you can see that he's riding every bump. Uh, last week was a bit of a bumpy journey uh, for Bulldog supporters, obviously losing. Emotional rollercoaster last week. <laughs> wow. What about the Brisbane game? <laughs> so Fox Talk about teasing you. have the, the, the live ladder in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, <laughs> and I found myself watching that whole – I didn't watch the game, I watched yeah. the live ladder because it was just so close the – the whole way through, it was every goal was either 0.5 or 0.6 of a percent. And then, so West Coast would kick one and we'd be back and forth. And you had your calculator yeah, out there. All like that. Like. <laughs> it, was, it was an emotional roller coaster. But um, yeah, you're right. I, I, I'll always be passionate about uh, about the club. I take, you know, very much a backward seat now and just, just enjoy it. My, my kids are, are right into it. So they love their, they love the Bulldogs, love watching them. Um, so that that keeps things things going, and I suppose the passion of 2016 sits really well with us still at the at the moment as we as the, as the club I should say searches for a, another uh, another chance at winning one. Well, you grew up a bulldog supporter, going out to the Western Oval to watch Dougie Hawkins, now known as the Witten Oval. Tell us about some of those early memories following the dogs. Yes, yeah, standing. Uh, m- most of my family were uh, an extended family were, were bulldog supporters, so we used to stand at the. The uh, Mount Mistake end with the with the windsock that was our spot where we'd meet every week. The cheer squad was right down in uh, in front of us, and that was that was the early stages of um, of being involved, you know, and loving the loving the club. Um, I grew up in Hoppers Crossing, so I had a little soft spot for the Cats along the way, but was always gravitated towards uh, the West in terms of, you know, we had all our family in Newport and Williamstown, so that's where we spent. Um, you know our childhood growing childhood growing up and going to watch Williamstown in the in the VFL which the VFA back then which was yeah. which was good fun and Sadi Ghazi and Chops Rickman and Danny <laughs> Delray and Simon Lloyd all these guns that were running around at the time the Metagets they, they were sort of the heroes of mine and then just down the road we'd have that luxury to to go and watch the the dogs play and you know my, my memories of Steve McPherson and and, and Doug Hawkins and, and the guys that you love growing up. Chris Grant was my favourite when I was 15 and starting to get serious about footy. Granny was kicking 50 goals in yeah. his first year of, of footy. So I loved him. And, and then, yeah, to get that, that opportunity to walk in was, um, was pretty special. Now, a question I love to ask the guests. When did you know you were going to be an AFL footballer? I, <laughs> not until probably um, I, was, I was drafted in that sense. I'll get the opportunity to play AFL football. You're still no guaranteed once you walk in the in the doors. But as a, as a 15 year old, I was um, I was very much an outside player. I needed to learn to sort of toughen toughen up a little bit. And I remember having a bad a bad sort of carnival as one of those under 15 rep sort of squads. And a lot of the guys from that got invited to train at the Bulldogs under 19s. And I wasn't one of them. I was like shattered. Like that was a that was a that was a dream. And so from that, I thought, well, how am I going to do things differently? So. 
we knew some some people at Williamstown, went and tried out for the under-19s as a 15-year-old and made Williamstown's under-19 uh, VFA list, which was, which was exciting. I played the whole year in under-19s as a 15-year-old, turned 16, played four reserves games um, as well at, towards the end of that year and played okay in those reserves games and then after that got asked to go and try out for the Western Jets. So 15-16 at Williamstown, playing against men and playing reserve grade footy, playing against some old men who were pretty tough and yeah. and, um, and made me get on my toes and run pretty quick crawl for times <laughs> because I was uh, I was this sort of, you know, really young guy and um, the older ones don't like it when you're getting a kick on them. So I, they just sort of protected me, played me in the forward pocket and, and did all that sort of stuff, which was, which was good fun. Went back and played it at the Western Jets um, as a 16-year-old turning 17 and felt really comfortable again playing against, as I played against men, coming back to playing against kids my own age, which was which was always a, a, a challenge when I was a little bit younger and uh, felt comfortable and had a good year with the Jets, played uh, Teal Cup that year and then all of a sudden I was drafted at, at 17. So it happened pretty quickly in terms of that, that development. But I was always a short kid and then I just had to grow up. And playing at Williamstown certainly taught me to grow up. That's for sure. Playing against men, and that's probably what um, what they should do with you know some of the seventeen year olds and eighteen year olds coming through at the moment is go and throw them in at Box Hill or wherever. Go and play some games. Give yourself a bit of exposure and, and learn a little bit about it before you get drafted. And then you know I think that can only help because what's happening at the moment a lot of the kids are being drafted, thrown out there. And it's taken them a whole year to really acclimatise themselves a bit. So there's definitely something in that. I agree, that- I agree with that. And that's where the benefit comes to a lot of the interstate kids that are drafted these days. I'm working through the AFL Academy with them for a number of years. The SA boys that are, that are young and got talent, they're playing senior footy or reserve grade footy at, a, at 17 years of age, at 18 years of age. And I think that helps them step into that AFL environment knowing that they've already hit the big bodies, you know what I mean? The, yeah, the second yep. tier down. So I think there's, there's a lot of merit in that as well. What about uh, you, um, you know, during your teenage years? Were you someone who was not out chasing the girls? I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, from a training point of view, did you live and breathe football? Did you always, any time that you could, get out, kick the footy in the backyard? Or what did you actually do? What did Brad Johnson yeah, it was, do? Was it? Oh, growing up, I'm, I'm an athletics nut. And I know you love your athletics yeah. as well, Croft. And so that was my thing growing up was was athletics, and I loved a bit of basketball as well. But I'll always I always fall back to to athletics is what I um, what I love doing the most. And then um, so then I didn't start. You, you would have been in a few weeks ago watching oh, abso- watching the games. Absolutely, the yes, games. the games. Yes, so it's incredible. What absolutely loved it. And the, the Paralympics coming up now, which will be exciting to watch as, as well. And um, so yeah, we so that was that was me growing up was was little athletics. I, I lived for that. I trained it twice a week. I, what was I wasn't your, that what good was your at favorite it. event? <laughs> what, what, what do you in think the end, <laughs> you were best at? I was, was always it a high jump, a triple jump. Now nah, the hurdles was what I loved. So the. The best I ever got to was going to Olympic Park and finishing fifth in a, yeah. in a final, which was which, pretty which good, was okay. So that's uh, like hundred meter hurdles. Or yes, was that they the were. Hit? I think they were yeah something like ninety meters or something like that. It, okay. Yeah, I think it was something like that back then. And so I did that, and then I I sort of got a bit bored of turning up to these events and have to wait all day yep. to, to do something, to do one event and maybe go out in a heat and then that's <laughs> and then that's it. So what I ended up doing was like they used to have these like mini decathlons where you could yeah. you could do four or five events at, at these things. So I ended up going and participating and that was a lot more fun. I was that's I was good. no good at discus and I was okay at long jump. They I didn't could, throw pole vault. Nah, they, did they didn't do that back then. <laughs> so I was but the good thing was I was good at the hurdles, I was okay at the hundred and I was yep. good at the fifteen hundred. So yep. Yep. I was able to go okay 
in that type of environment because it was about point accumulation and it was <laughs> yeah. it was it was good. A couple of events, no good, yep. but three or four, I was I was actually okay at. And it helps, I reckon. Once once you are drafted, it helps that you actually like running. Like, oh, that's the best. It's preseason. How many teammates do you play with that actually <laughs> hate running? <laughs> so and, many. And when it's we, like, oh, I love to run. How good's this? This is you know, this is nice. It's so true. And when we were running around, it was you do your ten k's, or you you know you yep. you do your three hour footy session, and then do you go do five six one k's in the afternoon. So the fact that you could get around okay <laughs> <laughs> was a massive benefit. I was no good in the pool though. Uh, that was the that was yeah. the one the one place I, I was. Not many no AFL good. players get a kick in the pool. Let's <laughs> That's be honest, it, but good point. you know it's a good change up anyway. So let's talk about um, you know that draft year that you were picked up. So obviously you played with the Western Jets. Um, you were obviously getting a few kicks. Um, so which clubs actually spoke to you? Oh, it was I probably spoke to about twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I right. can remember. Um, and look, it was it was a cross section of. You know, clubs coming to your house and having a cup of tea and, and yeah, a biscuit yep. and all that, that sort of stuff, <laughs> and some just on the on the phone as well. The Adelaide Crows, probably, I think they came over a couple of times, so they were the ones where I thought, oh, and they're like, you know, we'll we'll um, we'll get your car and we'll you'll have your license at seventeen, so you'll be right, you can you can drive yep. and you can get to training and and all of that. Geelong showed a little bit of interest um, as well, and the Bulldogs. Mark Kleiman was the um, was the recruiter at the time, and he rang me the night before the draft and just basically said it was a two second conversation. Would you come to the Bulldogs if we picked you up? I went, yeah, of course I would, and that was it. He goes, no, I see you later. Did he know that you buried for them? I think it, well, surely I think he did. Um, yeah. I've never I've actually asked uh, Climax that in terms of whether, what his thoughts were around it, but he, I think he had spoken maybe to my parents. I think he had spoken definitely to the Western Jets around. Mm-hmm around that um but yeah my conversations with him were literally for for two seconds and the next day i was lucky enough so to get picked up what number draft i got picked up 11 picked 11 Pick 11 okay, so yeah. no wonder all the clubs were talking to you yep. so wait, explain the feeling inside of you <laughs> being because i didn't know you were a bulldog supporter yeah but you've been picked to go and play for the club that you used to stand next to the cheer squad with and all of a sudden you're going to be a bulldog. Yeah, it was pretty exciting, as you could as you could imagine. But oh, look, oh, I got invited to the draft as you as you did back then. I, I wore the worst shirt you could, you could imagine. <laughs> looking back now, I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, at the time, you don't, think you, you don't think you're going okay? That. I go on postcards every week, and I just wear colourful shirts just for the sake of it. So don't worry about all that. What were you wearing? Oh, it's some floral. What sort of, you wore a floral oh, shirt to the uh, to the, uh, draft. the draft? I think it was. It was what, what type of floral? A, they were back in. It had back a sort then. of even maybe a silky sort yeah, of. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yep. Texture about no, it. That, that was in back then, <laughs> so, those floral arrangements. I don't know, mate, but anyway, <laughs> so in the end, I'm, I'm getting, I, I got interviewed by Sandy Roberts. <laughs> no, so it's it's out in the public domain somewhere, the, the bad <laughs> shirt that I was that I was wearing. And, and look, I, I, honestly, I didn't want to go the draft because you still yep. had that fear that, you know, what if you yep. don't get picked up? You know, so there's that element um, of it. And yeah, in the end, obviously glad I went along. And um, and look, there were some some great players, you know, that had unbelievable careers around that sort of time as well. Chris Johnson was was in the draft. I think I was drafted just after maybe a Fraser Garrick or or something like that. Um, Adam Simpson was was in that draft. So a lot of guys that have gone on to have you know pretty good careers. Yep. What about your first? Uh, day at the Bulldogs, you know, rocking up after you've been drafted. What, well, I was uh, who did you see? Well, was it Scotty West or, you know, who, who sort of, you know, who really no, blew Chris, you away Doug Hawkins, you Doug Hawkins, I walked in and Doug grabbed me. Yeah. 
Yep. And he look out. Uh, ironically, he sat because he was seven. He he sat me in locker six. He goes, "Come and sit with me for the first first bit." I went, "Oh, this is pretty cool." It wasn't long before I'm sort of sitting around, and then I got called over. No, no, y- your locker's over here, champ. Sort of thing. So <laughs> got got taken out in the front row. Sixty-one. Yeah. So I went at thirty-three, which was thirty-three, which was which was Brian Royal had just retired. And so they, they gave me Choco's number and I got, was, I got 51. Did you? Yep, when I was at school. How long did it take you to get from 51 uh, I think and it was go, my, go up the order? To, what did you end up nine? first year, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty much uh, dippers left. Yep. They said, thank goodness, because <laughs> that smell in the locker is now gone. Um, <laughs> he used to trim his moustache apparently right near the locker, so there used to be all this hair on the floor all the time. So they said, no, not an issue anymore. That's all yours if you want it. I yep. said, no, okay, let's let's go with it. That can and, work. Yeah, so you went from, what was it, 30? 33. 33. So I, I got drafted with, uh, I think, Paul Whelan, or he might have been there before the year before. So that sir was... Big kick, yeah. wasn't he? Was he so that sir was a big left footer, full yep. back, yep. and... Uh, and um, yeah, could play play pretty well, and then so yeah, I got um, from thirty three, and then the f- end of that year got um, got asked whether I'd like the six. Yeah, and and was it just a, a number? Did you go? Oh, you're oh no, I, well, well, I wore six for the Jets, so I, it was oh, a bit okay. of a lucky sort of number. But the history of the six at the Bulldogs is quite significant. With Charlie Sutton wore six, only was the at the time the only captain coach of our of our premiership team yep. in nineteen fifty four. So the significance of that. Charlie Sutton was at every um, every game. He'd greet you, so he'd be there about three hours before the game. Wow. As soon as you walk in, he'd shake your hand and say, "You know, shop early today." And yeah, yeah. that was his that was shop his motto. Early. And <laughs> it was great to to spend some good quality time with Charlie. And then, obviously, inheriting the six just yeah. created that extra special bond uh, in terms of what. And it was always known as Charlie's jumper because he won the won the flag in that number. He was the captain coach in that number, so it always had an element of luck and yep. even when uh, fast forward and you know I finish up and, and Luke Dallas took the number it was even like mate this number's got a bit of, a yep. bit of luck attached to it you'll, you'll be okay sort of thing so it's always had that sort of feeling about it in that it's 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 Charlie's jumper Tell us about Dougie Hawkins you would have grown up idolising him a club legend a larger than life character but it sounded like he was very welcoming to you and all the young players when you came into the club Yeah he was he was super back back in the day when the, the lists were quite big and some of the players wouldn't talk to others until they're actually on the list. Like there was, the, there was that element, or until you played a senior game, it was hard to, it was hard to break in and, and break through some of the guys. But we were, we were lucky. Doug just loved the club and was passionate about it. And if you if you worked hard, then you earned the respect pretty uh, pretty quickly. So you know, I, I certainly um, tried to work as hard as I possibly could in the early stages to get the respect to him. And Steve Wallace was a, was a big one that I really wanted to earn the respect of. And once you did, they grab you and help fast track you. So Steve Wallace in particular, he would have spent hours upon hours working on my kicking with me after training. So you'd finish, you'd do your big session, he'd grab me for an hour and spend an hour with me out in the track just kicking technique, technique, because I had a pretty ordinary ball drop, double hand, all that sort of stuff. Um, so he was able to work with me on on that. Um, so there's those sort of guys, Brian Royal, that would spend a lot of time with you, you know, trying to develop you as a as a young player. And they didn't they didn't have to back in back in the day. It was something that didn't really happen. So I was I was pretty lucky with that. You're not allowed to do that these days. You're not allowed to do a lot <laughs> of that extra training. That's so, right. But you were obviously a very fast runner too. So to run, bounce the ball, kick the ball. 
drop it perfectly. It's not easy to do. No, you know, it, was, even it took the a lot of work. Players, you know, today, yeah, still struggling. A lot times, of work. And, flat out. and Terry Terry Wheeler was my first coach, and he, he was probably the one that gave me the the biggest sort of um, example on what what to do to help fast track my development. He goes, look, you've got these couple of guys that are helping you, but go and find a couple of teammates that are just a couple of years older than you that are that are playing good footy. And I was lucky that Granny, Smitty, and, and Westy were yep. were playing pretty good footy at the time and was able to jump on their sort of you know backs a little bit. And I followed them everywhere. Basically, I was in their pocket for for everything, um, and and out of it, Smitty and I certainly became very close. But um, but it was great to get that um, that development, you know, from from those guys, and they certainly helped, um, you know, shape you know who I am today, but also the, the type of footy that that I was able to play. And Terry Wheeler didn't he famously take a footy trip and get. All the uh, the oh, no. to jump out of yeah that was the that was the year before was I got him? there which oh, was great because I don't think I would have done it cool. no. <laughs> so there was a because I, I remember th- Matthew Dent he came across to Hawthorne yeah and uh, I think he was still scarred from all that yeah like chicken his- <laughs> <laughs> I love playing with chicken but he he was a, he's a great he fella, was so Matthew good Dent, but he um, you know you you wouldn't have training that day and then you'd go to Chadson Shopping Centre <laughs> and spend a day wandering around you know having a shop and there's Matthew Dent walking around in his Hawthorne tracksuit <laughs> and bright, <laughs> bright, <laughs> bright yellow. When he, was with us, when he was with us, it was the dog at High Point. He was in the dog's tracksuit. Uh, and he was always getting things signed. Yeah. And I swear, he was ahead of his time because he was always selling it, I'm pretty sure. And he could play. What a, what a competitor. <laughs> what a competitor. I never thought he was one player I didn't expect to get brought up today. But, uh, but we, can, we don't know where a, these podcasts What happened with the plane yeah. incident? Oh, no, that what, was well. That, they he got, got the, everyone to jump out. Of the yeah, plane, they got right? everyone to jump out. So they, they, did a, they did a thing, a team building exercise where they would skydive pretty much into into Port Phillip Bay, land in Williamstown. So <laughs> off they'd go and it was So they're landing in the water. Yeah, they landed they landed in the in the water. Goodness. They landed in the water. So, so not only did they have to survive, then there's a few sharks. Yeah, well that was that's Doug Hawkins <laughs> famous story is that he he's scared scared of heights and sharks. And so then he's having to jump out of a out of a plane. So I'm pretty sure pretty sure about uh, most most did it, I think. I think there might have been one or two. I can't remember who they were, but from the stories that have gone by, that um, there's one or two that might have said, no, nah, that's, that's not for me. Oh, well, I'm sure it's not for a lot of people. No, but anyway, when it. the whole team does it, you do it, don't you, Quinny? <laughs> yes. Oh, I would have got roped into doing it and been a mess in the process. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I would have gone. I, don't, I would have battled. I like to do you it. Just like, please open, please. Yeah, okay. exactly. Once, once you know you're floating, that's okay. But then but the you go, oh, hang on. That looks like a four-metre shark there. <laughs> We're going to land on top of it. The bay at Williamstown is normally pretty, pretty, pretty good. You just <laughs> never, know, you never know, mate. I've seen some big sharks being caught there late at night. Have <laughs> a few gummies, mate. That's about it. <laughs> the 93 National Draft was absolutely superb. We mentioned some of the players that... Fraser Garrick at 16, Adam Simpson 14, Chris Scott at 12, Chris Johnson at 7, Nigel Lappin 2, Darren Gasper at 1. Yes. So elite company you're with there going pick 11. Going into it, did you feel you were certainly good enough to match it with these guys? Did you have a gauge of where you were in terms of ability? Um, probably throughout that year, Chrissy Johnson and I had some had a couple of big battles for the Northern Knights. So he was playing Northern Knights and I was playing for, for the Jets and we played on each other on a wing um, and look, he, he beat me every time, but I wasn't too far away. So I sort of didn't think I was in that first round category, but... I knew I wouldn't have hopefully been too far, too far away from um, from those guys. And I, I played at Jared Malloy was another one. I had to tag Jared Malloy in the in the grand final. We we had a big grand final that year where we played. We were the we were the curtain 
curtain raiser of the of the senior team. So we're playing on the MCG, and it was grand final day. It was huge in '93, and we I think we kicked about 21 goals, and the Northern Knights kicked about 35. I oh. think so. It was a massive shoot. I think John O kicked seven. I think um, Shannon Gibson. Shannon oh, yes, Gibson he, might have yep, kicked yep, 10. He, he ended up coming to Hawthorne. Yeah, I think Jono kicked 7 and a half and Gibbo kicked 10. So, <laughs> so they, yeah, they, they destroyed us on the day, but it was a massive shootout, huge shootout. And it was an eventful first year at your club. Coaching changed two weeks into the season. Oh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so Terry, very <laughs> Two real. weeks in? Two weeks in. Oh, my god! So we got through a whole summer. We played Geelong, I think it was, down at uh, Skilled back then. And he, um, off the back of that, he... Um, Unfortunately, lost his um, lost his job. So it's um, <laughs> it's a short runway to start the new year. <laughs> a couple of games in, and you're sacked. Um, that makes it a bit tough. So who took over from there? So Alan Joyce, Alan Joyce, yeah, walked in and uh, and took over the took over the club. And Joyce, he gave me my opportunity in in footy, and he and he taught me some really good lessons as well. Having dropped me a few times, and he wouldn't talk to you after games if you played poorly and the team lost. I was I I found Joyce the opposite. Actually, oh, because I was young, he was really sort of open to me because he was part of teaching me, you know, what you're doing yep. well. No, you got to do this better. You so that education process for myself with Joycey was really positive. There were others that you hear that he didn't talk to that much, but that's just the nature of of being a senior coach he, in in that in that era. You know, they had the presence about them. You didn't want to walk past the office at times, and I I had that right through my whole, whole career when Rodney <laughs> was was coaching. And Rodney, I got on with Rodney the best out of all pretty much all my coaches with Terry Wallace as well. But Plough had that presence. I was a bit younger. Where I wouldn't want to walk past the office on certain days, and certainly with Joyce, it was it was the same. Well, he was my coach for the first year. Yep. You know, so and then obviously, yeah, we, we'd have times where team wouldn't play that well, and it was like. I don't think he's going to talk to me this week. <laughs> that was my first yeah. year, but that, that was obviously the year that a lot of the senior players, you know, had been really successful at Hawthorne, and um, unfortunately he was he was moved on at the end of the year. But, um, yeah, he had that real hard edge about him. He Maybe did. he softened up a touch after leaving Hawthorne and heading across Poss- the dogs. Possibly. Different different group too, different yep. different dynamic in terms of the success that the, the Hawks had and then coming to a club that hadn't hadn't won one and, you know, we're in and out of finals a little bit as well. But, you know, we played finals in, in that year in, in 94. And like I said, it, I, I got an opportunity late in that year. And um, and that was the, the best thing ever. It was great fun. You did make your way a little bit. You made your debut in round 18 against Collingwood. This was famously Tony Shaw's record-breaking game. It was out at the Western Oval. What can you remember about that magnificent day? Uh, it, was a, it was a big build because the week before was, was Hawks' record-breaking game for the footy club. So we played, I think it was Geelong that day. And then Rowan Smith, actually, Gary Ablett ran through Rowan Smith and broke his collarbone. So Smitty went out of the team and he I got... Uh, took your best, mate. I got, got the opportunity. <laughs> you said, to, I hope you're okay, but I'm yeah, in. I'm that's in. It. <laughs> so, so there was... Um, so I was lucky, yeah, to, to get that to get that game and played on Mark Fraser on, on the wing. And it was it was huge. Like at the Witten Oval, packed house, all the Collingwood fans there for, for Shorey and, and him breaking the record was... Was quite a, a big occasion, and it was it was good to be a part of it. It's just the adrenaline rush you get. You, you're running out, and you know through the banner for the first time, and all those aspects of things are, is what you love about the game. So, did you have in the midfield? Was it Liberatore Romero? Or not then, no, Jose? Not then, no. not then, Jose. I think was the year. Yeah, one or two years later. Yep. Um, so at the time, it was uh, would have been Liber, Steve Wallace, Westy was was yep. running around a little bit yep. there, a little bit on the on the wing as well. Uh, Luke Beveridge was was running around forward pocket on ball. 
So yeah, we had we had a few little nuggets uh, in, in around in around the footy and a thirty two point win, a great way to start your career. Oh, it was good fun. Yeah, and then afterwards, you know, obviously, you know, singing the song for the first time at, at senior level and um, and what? all those aspects that go with it. The crowd ran on the ground, so you're running through the crowd oh, and, cool. yeah, right. and all what, that. What round was it? Seventeen, eighteen, round eighteen. So it might have still been a bit muddy. Yeah, that time of year. It was it was okay. It yep. wasn't a, it wasn't a mud pole like it used to be back in the yeah. in the day. We must have had a, a reasonable winter. I think Crawford, that it wasn't <laughs> wasn't too bad. I think in it was about that time that cricket got moved. I think it was around that time. So I think they were able to get rid of the um, the the cricket wicket in in the ground around that sort of period of time. So the ground was actually reasonably good. Yep. And the Bulldogs finish with a wet sail and go on to make the finals. You come up against Geelong, a game that will be remembered for Billy Brownless famously kicking that goal after the siren. Yeah, the king of Geelong, Billy Brownless. Wow. <laughs> he still like, is the king. He is. He well and truly is. <laughs> Thanks but, uh, for that goal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, it, was, it was a bizarre game. Like they, they got out to a huge start on us and were six goals up, I think, at one point. And we just chipped away at it. And then we, I think Richard Osborne kicked the goal for us and got us, uh, got us in front late. And then they get the ball out of the middle and lands in the hands of uh, Billy Brownless. Southo, Danny Southern done a great job on him all night. Took the mark and went back and absolutely nailed it. So we went and played Melbourne the the following week in in a, in a final that was a bit of a disaster for us. Gary Lyon kicked ten to three quarter time, I think it was, and we bowed out after that. So, but oh, my first year we ended up going. There was about ten of us that went back to play reserves finals after that so I was able to play in a prelim for the dogs going to a grand final we played North Melbourne so my first year we won the reserves premiership which was which was exciting in itself it's it's the only premiership I've ever won so I, I hang on to it um but it, was, it didn't matter what level it was especially back then you celebrated yeah. pretty hard and long because of um you know we had some success as a club you said Denny Southern um, before, and I know him as the Snake Man. And yes. He was a bit different, but we love different players. Did you ever go over to his house and check out his snake collection? Because <laughs> no, he lived I with didn't. all these snakes. Is that true? He did. He had a couple of snakes. He was well and right into that and the whole. I think he might have worked at the Melbourne Zoo or yes, maybe he did. the Werribee yeah. Zoo and yep. did aspects around that. So he he loved that side of life. So no, I wasn't sort of into the whole <laughs> sort of snake. I didn't. I didn't. I can't remember ever going to Southo's house actually. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> There's no way I'd no, be going over there. <laughs> was he as scary to you as he seemed to the opponents? No, nah, he was the, the the nicest guy. Like as you can imagine, the, these guys with that presence and that persona, you know, what you see in that two hours on the field, the rat's tail, the whole lot. But off the field, just a ripper. You know, a great teammate, uh, enjoyed a good time, uh, loved going out, you know, and all that sort of stuff like we did every Saturday night after after playing back in those days and Southo was front and centre, and he was a great teammate to have around. Where was the Bulldogs hangout? Oh, we'd go, where, we'd where go, did you go social the, club, straight to the social club, have right, a feed, good, mingle. Yes, stay together. Yes, and then we'd go, I think it was Cactus Tunnel was our Saturday night. Cactus? Cactus what, in the, Mooney Ponds. Oh, Mooney Ponds, yeah. then you'd make your way into yeah. the city. So I think we'd get our $50 drink card at the Cactus. Right. Enjoy that. You'd get cactus. Yes. And then, <laughs> and, and, then, and then go to the tunnel, get the $100, $100 right. drink card at the and tunnel, then. and that was our Saturday night. Every what Saturday a, night, walk out, have a, a dinner or whatever hey. afterwards, and go to Sunday and recover all yes. day and turn up Monday, and off, off we'd go What again. a great life as an AFL footballer. It was good. Hey. I was studying year 12 at the time, so it was a, bit, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit awkward at times on the Monday morning yeah. going, to, going to school. Yeah, what did you do on the weekend? No, I went nothing, to cactus just played the tunnel. Funny. Like, what? What's That's it? He's losing the plot. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about this, Croft? You'll appreciate this. A man that played for as long and played as well as you did. 360 what? This is the impressive.
impressive part for mine. From 1995 to 2009, Brad played 21 games or more every season. That That is unbelievable when you think about it. You know, and, and even... Back in my day, <laughs> um, halfway through my career, it was like, stop uh, setting goals around games. You know, I want to play every game because mm. it doesn't happen like that. You know, you have little injuries. Sometimes you need to miss a week and you need to freshen up. So to do that, to average that amount of games, and back when Jono started footy, footy was rough and tough and, you know, you had a social life as well. So your body can't handle a great deal. So he obviously did a a great deal right uh, when it came to preparing, um, you know, in the latter years or after the first couple of years. So you obviously did a lot right to get yourself up and keep yourself going. Oh, look, Either that just, or you lived on a lot of oh, pain killing no, <laughs> Towards the end, <laughs> towards the end, no, no question. Uh, but now I got a little bit lucky along the way too. And that, that's, that's part and parcel of, of playing. I did, I never had a soft tissue injury. So that was one good thing. Um, I've never been able to touch my toes. Got no flexibility whatsoever. So worked a lot on that yeah, mobility. Yeah, you're and on the hurdles. Yeah, that's right. That's why I could, like, that's why I didn't succeed in the hurdles. How can you not have that's any flexibility? Other, yeah, other you're doing events. hurdles. Yeah, but the hurdles were this high when I was <laughs> <laughs> when I was jumping over them. They weren't that big. So I um and so I got lucky in that sense that if I got injured, I would either be in a preseason game. I'd have a few weeks to recover, and then I'd be right sort of to go for for round one. So and throughout throughout the time, you you get. Um, you know, shoulders and bits and pieces go, your ligaments, you, you obviously, you know, work through that um, with either, you know, pain relief or some injections along the way, no no question, went through all of that. But but nothing, I was always sort of big on it in terms of preparing really well, um, but if any of those sort of things were going to affect me long term, we had to, I wouldn't have wouldn't have gone out and played. So that was the that was the good part about it. The fact that everything I had was never going to affect me in later life. So was happy to get out there and you know get rolled out at times and get put in the goal square and see what see what would happen. It's amazing when you look back now. It's like oh, I can't believe I got through that game. Or gee, I was feeling shocking. Mm. But you just find a way to just go. I, you know, this is the way it is. Once you start the season, you know you're probably if you're out of your 21 games you average every year. Probably three or four, you feel amazing, you know. Yep. Another five or six, you feel okay. Another five there, you feel like dog crap. Yep. I was going to say. And so, but sometimes they're the and best games you play too. When you when you feel, when you feel terrible, you get a couple of touches early. Oh. It's like, oh, hang on. Yep. Maybe I will be okay today. And you're wearing the big cement boots yeah. like for three or four as well. Yep. So you're like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm going backwards. Yeah. So you're right. You just got to get that mind going, come on, just chip away. You just never know what can happen at the end. And you've got a great doctor, Gary Zimmerman, who's a personal friend uh, with the big moustache for anyone that watches <laughs> the Bulldogs. He's got the big curly hair, the big moustache. Hasn't and changed in 20 years. No, nah, he loves it. He gets out there and he, he gets the players out and playing and playing great football. And you only have to look back to 2016 when the, the dogs won their premiership. But being a personal friend, um, you know, known him for a long time, I was having issues. Um, I've got a lot of issues, John, let's be honest. <laughs> I was Do you want us issues. to stop recording here for a second? <laughs> yes. No, no, no. I'd, I'd done my, my back was gone. Like, I, I literally couldn't bend over or put my socks on, and yet, you know, I'm playing in the midfield. Yep. And I said, mate, I, I, I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to have to retire. <laughs> Just to pull the, I don't know what to do. Um, and he said, what, what's going on? I said, well, I, I, can't, I can't put my shoes on. I can't put my socks on. I fo- roll out of bed and I feel like I'm 100. Like I just, oh, I can't straighten up. And yet on the weekend I've got to bend over and try and get the footy. And, 
And he said, oh, here, take this. Oh, and he handed no. me this bullet. Oh, no. Here we this, go. This bullet. He said, <laughs> The hey, famous silver bullet. Some of my Bulldogs <laughs> players um, have been taking these and it gets them through matches. And I'm like, really? Okay. So he handed me this silver bullet, which you got to slam up your backside. <laughs> The night before you play, oh. and I'm like, I said, oh, you're stitching me up here. I yeah. said, this is you're going back and telling all the Bulldogs players. So anyway, so for a little block there, when I seriously, when I look back now, I don't know how on earth I even got out there and played. He was actually helping me because these silver bullets, halfway through a Friday night match, Quinny, I'd go, okay, it's time for the silver bullet. <laughs> Off I'd go to the toilet and I'd have to insert the silver bullet. Hold there, make sure that I, I clenched <laughs> and kept it uh, inside for at least half an hour so I made sure I didn't have to go back to the toilet. And then, you wouldn't believe it, the next day I could actually put my socks on, put my boots on, and I'd get through matches. Yep. But then Amazing. I'd require two yeah. silver bullets the next <laughs> week. So <laughs> are you familiar the with these silver bullets? I am very familiar with the, <laughs> with the silver bullet. Not till probably sort of later in uh, my career, but yeah. everyone's got – Everyone's got a story about the silver bullet. The most important thing is, like you said, the, the aspect of you have to... What it is, it's like an anti-inflammatory. It is, it's an anti-inflammatory. That's and all so it is. If you That's got all it is. back, hamstring, yeah. glute, whatever, yeah. at least it gets... To that area, but there was a technique with the silver bullet. What? And that's what's the technique? Well, no, you, because yeah, no, no, in terms of your timing, you had to. Do you reckon Quinny thought the podcast no, was going to go this direction? No way, but it's funny because the timing because you had to. Yeah, half time of a silver, Friday night match. No, for a still, no match. but you had to take the silver bullet just before going to sleep. That was the critical oh, part because well, if you didn't, well, if you I didn't, couldn't sleep after I no, took it. Lying that's there right, thinking. because you, you had to get through the half hour barrier. <laughs> if you if you broke yes. the barrier, you you you're sweet. And that there was the that was the funniest part about <laughs> learning all the stories that come with with the silver bullet. But you're not the only one. There was a lot of I think when Zimmer was. Um, part of the Australian team and all those those sort of things as well. There's yeah, some other players that got introduced to it along the mate, way. Every time I thought of the Bulldogs, well, I wonder how many are on the Silver Bullets today. That's hilarious. But I, I can't thank Which you was just an anti-inflam. for helping me get out of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, just an anti-inflam. But yep. it's just an unusual, because normally I just have a glass of water and I, I swallow my yeah. anti-inflam, but this one I was swallowing a bit differently. Mate, it certainly worked. If your lower, if your lower, if your lower back was gone, uh, it would certainly assist oh, to, to My house is full of Silver Bullets. <laughs> He's there. He's shares in the company. And he hasn't had a back in, back, back in yeah, 20 years. He's doing ground balls when I walked in today. Oh. Back eventually. I'm sure. Quinny, let's get back on track. Yes, please. Why would you take it off track? No, like when that? you started with that, I thought, he's not going to go down that path. Oh, that's worry. hilarious. And there we go. That's hilarious. Uh. History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab. Long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858. Terry Wallace <laughs> comes in to coach the Bulldogs from 1996 <laughs> to 2002. What do you first remember about Terry? 
Oh, look, Plough was our reserves coach, so I had a good relationship with Plough. Um, he had a good relationship with, with everyone. It was We had a – 96 was a big year. The year the dog was on, we had um, Sean Baxter. It was ahead of its time, Yeah, too. it was. Sean Baxter was diagnosed with cancer that year. There was plenty going on on the field. We weren't playing that well. Pressure on, on Alan Joyce. So um, Terry Wallace was employed as interim coach towards the end of, uh, end of 96. And then once we finished that year – he got us to start training in October, and that was the biggest change that we'd probably seen in footy for, for some time because it was normally sort of later in the year you'd come back, you know. But he wanted us to come back in October actually fit, not step away from training at all and give ourselves the best chance to to step into 97 and have a red-hot crack at just – we didn't know where we'd go as a team, but just change ourselves mentally on, you know, where we saw ourselves with fitness, with the way we played – and all those aspects of, of footy. And so he trained us really, like, extremely hard. The the hardest we'd, we'd trained in my time, at, short time at the club, and I was only young, 21 years of age, I think, something like that. So it was a it was a huge step forward, and he was sort of so – the innovation from, from Terry Wallace in terms of the way he wanted us to play and um, his thoughts on the game and the way he'd inspire us, you know, with different match balls or plaques and all these things that we'd play for and – um, and and play for the club was 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 impressive. It kept us motivated as a as a group. So he had an immediate impact. And then the way we started in '97, we lost our first game. I think we won our second game. We copped a bit of flack because we lost our first preseason game. The North are into us. You boys started in October. You know we can still beat you. You know. So there was all, all that going on. I think we ended up beating. We lost to Frio. I think we beat Sydney by two points in round two, from what I can remember. And then from there, it was it was away. The the confidence in the group just skyrocketed, and we ended up having a really successful ninety seven, going from fifteenth, I think we were on the ladder to to second, first or second, and um, and played in the prelim that year. We'll talk about the prelim in just a sec. Were you surprised how quickly you did elevate though, and how you went from being the whipping boys of the competition just twelve months earlier to finishing second on the ladder at the end of that home and away season? Look, looking back at the time, yes. But looking back now, we had probably there was about ten or twelve of us that played in the ninety four reserves premiership. So we had some young guys that were we're all together, and that's a that's an important part I think of of a club and where your success can come from is if you get a good core group that can take it forward. So we had our older guys that were you know impressive players, great players in their own right. But we had a really core group of us sort of younger guys that were able to to take the club forward. So, so yes, we were fast tracked, no doubt, no doubt in terms of our fitness levels and, and all that under, under plough in those early stages. But he just believed in us as a, as a younger group of players that we could, you know, have a significant impact from, from the outset. And he, and he taught that belief to us. And what about that training in October, November, December? Cause you know, a lot of clubs used to come back and train really hard, but we never used to use the footballs. Mm. And so when the games used to start, we used to, guys that couldn't kick, hit targets. It's no good doing all this hard training and running hard if you actually can't dispose of the ball, which is more important than ever these days. Yeah, and that's what Plough, I think he realised that from the year before. Our skills weren't that good in 96. So he had the footies out from, from day one. And we would do three times a week, we'd do a three-hour footy session, 9 or 12. Get in early, maybe do some weights. Footy session, 9 to 12. Have lunch, athletics track. Six one Ks, and then we'd be, you, your break was five minutes at the start, and that would slowly come down that break. So you do your one K, have three minutes, and as the preseason went on, so three times a week we're doing three hour footy sessions into one Ks, and then in between that was cross train Tuesday Thursdays was cross training and all those sort of things. And they, he 
and he made us sort of become semi full time in terms of our you know professionalism, and that's where the the shift started to change. There were some older guys that were still working and had to manage had to manage them. So but Scotty Wine, Scotty was Wine was still, yeah, he was still uh, yeah he was still working at. Um, he did the waste management side of things. Uh, Winey was quite successful in that, and Liver was still working, and Matty Croft was was still working. For I remember, the rest of us were sort of able to sort of commit to a pretty much full time basis of just working on footy and being involved in in getting better. And you go on to reach the prelim final. You would play five prelims in your career, but <laughs> I dare say this one was probably the devastating one. Thirty one points up against Adelaide. And then, unfortunately, it all went very wrong. Yeah, it did. In, that, in the last quarter, we kicked, we kicked six behinds. We just couldn't nail, nail an opportunity. Jarman went, went crazy, and, um, and he nailed the opportunities that, uh, that the Adelaide Crows gave him. Andrew McLeod was unbelievable in that sort of final series anyway. Um, 98 was the, the same. We thought 98 we would be able to rectify. You know, mentally, you go, they got us this year. Now we'll get them. Um, and they, they beat us quite easily um, again. But, yeah, so I was, I was really young, so you sort of think it's just – we're in a good space. It's it's going to happen. Um, looking back now, obviously it uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way in footy. So um, yeah, we missed we missed a big opportunity there. What was it like after the game? Uh, look, it was pretty pretty intense, as you can imagine. The next day, we all met at the footy club. Uh, I remember, um, you know, Plough walking in. It's it's out there. He had sort of we blew it on his head, and you know all that sort of stuff. And it just it hit home. But he, we had wait, a, he wrote we, we blew, blew it on his head. Yeah, and so but. Back then, it was it was a strong and powerful message, as you could imagine. But it set us up because he went from being everyone was like angry still and all that, and mm-hmm. we we had that moment when we were sort of sitting around around the esky, and everyone was a bit, you know, a bit shitty and still you know really angry of the the day before. Um, to to turning it from from that into okay, how can we not let this sort of define us? How can we how can we turn this moment into being, you know, con- con- having continued success, not letting this just f- completely fall away. Because 96 was a disaster. 97, we changed the name of the club to the Western Bulldogs. We, new coach, everything started to go well. We couldn't afford as a club for it to, to drop away because we nearly ended as a club, you know, in 96. So, so we changed the dynamic of talking about, yeah, we blew it, but how do we, you know, how do we not let that affect us and we go back to being an ordinary club again how do we you know take those steps forward so that's the smarts of a of a terry wallace right there you know what i mean in in owning the group and and owning it as a as a coach and um and getting the group going again and, and setting the pattern pretty much straight yeah, away it's a good way of setting it saying it actually setting the pattern for what we need to do yeah, yeah and then you know you see on monday meetings i think monday meetings are the most important day in a football week you know and and pretty much set up are we going to win on the weekend, yep. you can pretty much, if you can get into the inner sanctum, I reckon it gives you a good indicator uh, indicator of okay, how's this group feeling? Do that, you know? Yep, they're feeling a bit sorry for themselves. Now they'll come out fighting. So I reckon Monday meetings are really, really important. That's sort of like a Monday meeting. But what you talk about these plaques and games that he used to play. So what were some of the awards that you would sort of obviously agree to as a group? You know, was it? Was it the best team player? Or oh, no, was it was it just something a bit different. It was all team oriented in that aspect. So it was like we'd all sign the match ball. Like he'd, he'd get a match ball, and we'd all we'd all sign it. And he'd only present it all. Um, and same with the plaques. He'd have everyone's name that was playing in their positions, but he'd only present it if we got the four points. Yep. So it just created that mentality that we wanted, and then so to one player. No, no, to the to the team. So oh, then, what, so then team, what? Yeah, it's a team thing. So then, what do you right. do? What do you do post that? Is then in the hallway throughout that year, 
you know, the three or four different scenarios that he'd create would be lined up. You know, so that's early on in the year we achieved this and then four weeks later we've we've done this. And Plough liked to break it up into four week four week blocks in terms of back then and looking at, you know, what we had for the month ahead. Well, it's such a yeah. long year. And, yeah, that's and right. you, you don't you look through an AFL um, season and you go, Okay, we start here. It's pretty tiring. Yep. The players must think, oh, my God, how are we going to get to here? So you, you really do have to break it down. You've probably got to break it down even more these days. Yeah, especially in the, with the winter months. You know, that grind of July is an important month to try and inspire the group, especially if the win-losses aren't, aren't going well. So, look, that, that year was, was phenomenal. But his innovations were, were huge, and he started the, you know, on-ground warm-ups. And, um, you know, when we beat Essendon in 2000, the way that he shaped that game was, was huge. Um, you know, taking us away from the club to train that week and, and – and working on the aspects of the, the massive flood. And the following week, we played the Hawks and tried the same thing, and they beat us. So it worked once, which was which was good. Well, but other than, other than that, it didn't, it didn't work again. Well, the problem is it works one week, and yeah. then you get a couple in your group going, oh, if I sneak out here, I might be able to get a cheap one. <laughs> That's it. And then that just all breaks down. Like, it's amazing it. how quickly it just folds. But, uh, yeah, definitely ahead of his time. And, and not only that, he was ahead of his time off the field too because he used to have his own selection. No, I'm not going there. I'm not. What do you mean? Did you ever go over to his house? No, I learnt that lesson the hard way throughout my career. (laughs) He's not your coach anymore. I know, but I think I mentioned You just spoke about the bullets. I still can't. I still can't. (laughs) (laughs) You spoke about them. I I didn't speak about them. You admitted it. I backed you up. (laughs) That's just my nature. I wouldn't be backing up to any bullet these days. That's a good point. (laughs) No, but I learnt the hard way early in my career. But he's admitted having a salarium at his house. Oh, I can't confirm or deny. Well, Adam Cooney it. said that he went round to the house to watch the Cooney boxing, did. and he said, "There's the famous oh, salarium." Okay, all right. Well, the, <laughs> it's the, out. The, the, it's been lifted, yeah. hasn't it? Now, I honestly, I, I, still, I think I was doing live and kicking or one of those shows back in the back in the <laughs> yeah. day, and Jace Dunstall sort of led me into, yeah. you know, talking about it. And you felt pressured because that's so the type of guy yes, Jace Dunstall is, you know. And um, <laughs> like, so I, I spoke about it, and the next day I got called into oh, into the office. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You want to job in the media? Yeah, that's what yeah. I want to do, you know, going forward. Well, you will never talk about that ever again. And if you do, you won't be a part of, you know, where we're going. So <laughs> I learned very quickly that... Uh, so it's true. No, you it's don't, obviously true because well, he got his back possibly. up. Possibly. <laughs> to defend it. But surely you would know winter months. You're like, geez, Terry looks like he's, he's been holidaying up on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Hey. And let, let's get back oh. to Jason Dunstall. Obviously, you work, you know, I love with Fox and, and closely on, you know, with guys like that. Yep. H- how would you describe? And do you feel sorry for me that I had to play with no, someone like that? Frick? I would have loved to have played with him. <laughs> he would, he would have been, an, I think, an awesome teammate. Surely you had enough good times with, <laughs> with Jace. Well, when, when he's looked after me for a long time, even when I was right. young and trying to do some media stuff. He he grabbed me under his wing and. There's a lot of people out there saying that you know he's an angry man and he, why he wouldn't do that. Jace, oh, I don't know what happened. I, I must have, I must have smiled at him the right way. And he, um, he must he, think you're from the the west side yeah, of town. That's it. I need you know? to look after these kids. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with that. that that's very unusual. From very, from yeah. what I hear, it's very unusual. But I've worked with Jason now for a long time. A long, probably we're probably fifteen. 16 years we've, we've done things together and then the last 10 or 11 now at, at Fox Footy so it's um, <laughs> I, I love him I, I can't thank him enough for what he did for me in my early sort of you know career trying to step into the into the media and we still have a laugh today you know he's just an easy, easy guy 
Yep. yep, that's good. Now we're, you're very nice. We love Terry Wallace. <laughs> and we just got that story. Place, that story there about him giving you a clip about mentioning the solarium. What's the best spray he ever gave the team, and the best spray well, he ever gave you? Well, Bondi Sands is the best spray. <laughs> like, if you want that nice, beautiful golden you skin, you know too much about it as well, Crawford, don't you? <laughs> Mate, solariums were in back then. I'm I've never had you. a solarium yeah. ever well, you, in my life. Have you? No, not even when you used to go over to Terry's. Like I said, I couldn't even walk past the coach's door. Let let alone Mate. go around his go around to his house. I love it. I love it. What a solarium. It was it? No. I, I, <laughs> Terry Wallace was ahead of his time. He really was from a coaching point of view, and uh, he used to do things a bit differently. Like, and if you had done that documentary back uh, back in the day, mm. um, you know, it, it would have been a Netflix hit. Yep. You know, because nothing like that was being done. So that's right. And the guys who did that doco, I think, ended up. Uh, they run the Bondi Rescue Show. So, you know, they've gone on to create a pretty successful, you know, show as show as well. Um, off the off the back of all that, which yeah. is which is great. And oh the biggest spray that I ever got. Oh I got along the way you cop you cop a few. As a as a team, I remember we were sort of did one around yeah, you were a conscript or a, or a volunteer and we did a whole sort of war sort of aspect around it, and guys were getting we lost to Carlton, and guys were getting picked off after the after the game. You know, you you're beaten by a better prepared warrior, and you were you know you only stood up when the when the when the gun stopped firing and all that sort of stuff. You know, so it was, you don't want to stand yeah, up by the fire, no, you? That's it anyway. So, but um, but so look, he was he was he was very much could hit you between the eyes. Don't don't get me wrong, but um, it didn't sort of happen for myself. Um, too often, but I could take it because I knew that it was all about just getting better. I took it as getting better as footy. It was never personal. Um, told me my 21st, I should have been at home setting up for me 21st. Why did I bother pulling the boots on, you know, that day? But other than that, it wasn't. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. By the way. And then that night, he put his arm around me at the 21st. He goes, yeah, you've got to have a crack tonight. You know what I mean? It's, it's 21st. So yeah. he played it He played it really well in terms of, um, you know, the aspects of, of life versus, you know, what it meant uh, on the field. But he didn't accept poor performance, that's for sure. And not only that, sucking up to the coach, inviting him to his 21st. Uh, back then, everyone so, was invited. It was oh, come it was on, an all in, It was an all-in affair, <laughs> Croft, back then. No, very much – and let's talk about, um, you know, during your career, obviously a wonderful play, but you love kicking goals. You kicked a lot of goals. I, I don't know the total amount of goals. I'm sure Quinny's got it in front of him. But <laughs> if I had to guess, I reckon, uh, did you get to 500? I did get to did you? 500. Yeah, just over, I think. I don't know How the exact get, number Quinny, either. What you get? 558. There you go. Nearly 600, yeah. So you, you loved a goal. And it, was that something as a, a, you know, during your teenage years, you love kicking goals there as well, or is that something that naturally happened once you got to the Bulldogs? No, I played as a, like a wingman or a half forward. That were the two positions I played growing up. So I always enjoyed going forward and and having a shot at goal. There was yeah. no problems with no problems with that. But when I when I started playing, I played on the wing the whole time, um, pretty much until you know I had to tag a little bit and bits and pieces, and that gave me a chance to learn off you know some of the best and hardest working players in the game. And but then. There was a year Terry Wallace sort of said to me, he goes, look, you gotta, we're going to play you as a permanent forward. So um, that's the decision I'm making as, as coach. You'll still get time in the midfield, but we need someone down forward who will work hard and get to contests and, yep. and do, all, do all that. And I wasn't too bad overhead. So that, that allowed me to sort of go forward with a, with a bit of confidence. But the, the, he made the decision. But what he did, he basically, Brian Taylor came down to, um, to be our, you know, a specialist coach, but pretty much from what I can remember, I he was pretty much brought in to teach me how to kick, 
uh, shots at goal, set shot routine, and then every single main training session, BT would be there and he'd be out in the ground standing next to me and he'd be saying, pull back here, do this, lead here. And so he just taught me over yeah. a whole summer. So it wasn't as if I was told, you're going to be a forward and we're just going to do it and good luck. Yeah. I had one of the greatest, you know, full forwards of all time basically take me under his wing for a whole summer and teach me the teach me the ropes of being a good full a good forward. Not not so much the higher stuff was okay, it was the deeper stuff that I needed to yep. needed to needed to learn. So if the ball's on the wing, he's dragging me back and he's saying, No, you protect this space here, come back here, use the goalpost or the point post as your friend. That's how you can get a meter on your opponent. All these little tricks that he was that he was teaching me was was phenomenal. Yeah. So I was able to come out off the back of that with confidence, as you could imagine, and um, had an impact early, kicked a few goals early in that change and that's what sort of, you know, fueled the fire to, to want to be as successful as I could in that sort of part of the ground. Yeah, no, let the midfielders do all the yeah, work. Yeah, let them do all the work. and no, just slot them through <laughs> when you can. And having a forward with a, a great engine uh, like you had, um, you know, because a lot of the defenders, you know, they, they pretty rugged and they didn't like going for a big long run. So that's a good point. That's uh, that's something that you certainly would would have brought into your game as the game un, uh, unfolded. You'd certainly get on your bike and move around and... They're like, hang on. The defenders don't well, you, want someone you know, moving you, the whole you, time. You play with some good defenders and yes. you knew what they were like fitness-wise. So you sort of had that confidence going in that, you know, the half-backers of the world or the back pockets don't like to sort of travel far Let's go and wide. Yep. Yeah, so used to sort of try and use that to a, a bit of an advantage. And then if I had someone my own height, I'd take them to goal square. If I had someone a bit taller, I'd get up the ground and try and, you know, break them early and, um, and then – Wander my way back inside forward fifty at different stages. So there's all the different. I had freedom to do it, and that yep. was the. That's what I suppose allowed allowed it to work. Is I had some freedom to just work on whatever opponent I had and um, put them in the most vulnerable positions. Yeah. We speak about Terry Wallace being a man ahead of his time. I think that was in full display in 2000 when he took the team out to train at Werribee in the lead up to play the Bombers, who were previously undefeated that season. It was it was a huge build up. You know, he, I remember that he walked in on the Monday. I can't remember who we played the following week, but he walked in on the Monday and he goes, well, it's Mission it's mission Possible with the Mission Impossible themes and, and all that sort of stuff. So he just turned it completely into... Did he into, dress up as Tom mission Cruise? Possible. No. <laughs> he used to dress up a lot. He used to dress up as... What? He dressed up as... Darth Vader once. Oh, oh, Terry Wallace. Yeah, like all theme-based stuff. What, and to come in, in and Raiders, of, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think that's that was it. We had, like, I can't remember them. I, I should actually go back. I need to that's write them all down um, in terms of some of the themes that we used to have. Um, and some and, and other players are better at remembering all that sort of stuff um, than, than I am. But, but that one was definitely one where he took us to Werribee. We trained away from the club. We worked on this massive flood. Uh, where we're just going to basically block them up as much as we possibly could, not allow them to, you know, have everyone inside their their forward fifty and not let not let them kick a goal. Well, that was Clarko's first two years at Hawthorne. <laughs> yes, that, that was, that was it. Good luck. Yep. Good luck scoring. Won't lose by too much. Yeah. Yes. So, in, and that game was the it was quite intense and and passionate as you could imagine because of the rivalry with the Dogs and the Bombers anyway, and they hadn't lost the game. And I remember at quarter time. I think it was Joe Mercedes and Mark Mercury were like, what are you boys up to today <laughs> sort of thing? You know what I mean? It was just um, surprised them a little bit with that aspect of the way we played. And then so for three quarters, we just hung in there. It was exactly that. We just minimised their, their their impact because they were such a good team. And they were a tough team. And, and we're able to – I think we're in, within striking distance the three-quarter time. And I think we're maybe 10 or 15 points down maybe, maybe a little bit more. And player basically said, okay, we're breaking it now. 
three quarter time, we're going. We're playing fast. We're going back to our old our style. We know, and off and off we went. So because we, we had to score to win, um, might as well not do this style and lose by three goals. Everyone goes, oh, well, good effort, but. You know, what did it really mean at the end of the day? So we had a good last quarter. Granny kicked the ripper on his left foot from the boundary, um, got us in front. Smitty kicked one after the siren. We win by seven seven points and um, and uh, and away we go. It was, it was a great win. Now we know you're the smiling assassin. You got in a little bit of trouble for what happened after the siren though. <laughs> I was waiting for that, Quinny. I really was. It was the, it was the most, after such a big win, it was probably the most disappointing aspect when I look back um, of my action after that game in terms of making it about myself, not about the team. And that was um, – it's really disappointing now when I talk about it, but it's part of what I did. And I chased down John Barnes. He hit me – no, he knocked me uh, – nearly pretty much in those days, you know, put me down off the ball. Um, and um, there was a bit of a scuffle after it, and it was a long way off the ball. And then at three-quarter time, I clipped him in the back of the head. Um, so there's a bit going on in that in that game. And – after the game, I sort of ran up to him and, you know, said, mate, you'll get two weeks for that, you know, up yep. yours sort of stuff. And he replied to me. It was it was actually quite lucky because I was, I was one out, which was which was silly um, <laughs> with all the Essendon players. And Barnsley could have, if he had come at me, it was it would have just been a, a nightmare. So I'm sort of lucky that uh, Barnsley wasn't like that. And he just made a bit of a joke and, and off he went. And we, we sat next to each other at the at the tribunal on, on Monday or Tuesday night and we both got a week for that game, and um, actually talking of sprays, that reminded me that was the biggest spray I got because we played the Hawks the following week, and the biggest mistake I made was the Hawks beat us, and I went into the meeting after the after oh, the game, no, no. and I got singled out. I didn't even pull pull the boots on <laughs> <laughs> for letting for letting the team down, obviously with with my uh, with my actions that uh, that that night, which yeah weren't great. I wouldn't worry about it too much, mate. That happens, you know, and it's it it's I don't know. It's hard to explain. Once you're in that environment yep. and, you know, you run out onto the field, it's, it is, you play for your life. I think I had concussion. I'm going to go with that now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had concussion in a lot of my career then. <laughs> like, because it just changes you. Like, yep. it does. You know, you, you see Glenn Archer comes in here, nicest pot, you know, but he gets onto that field cool. and you're like... Ruthless. He'll, he'll eat me alive. Yep. You know, Campbell Brown, I used to play with, um, he was the same. You know, he, he was like... Well, he's mad off the field anyway, but he's like he gets onto that. Oh, field he's good nature. That's that's what you're saying. Yeah, he, he's like, wow, okay. So it, it happens. It happens certain, a lot. And you need guys that competitive edge. Definitely, definitely. Seems like Terry was much loved. His end at the club came pretty abruptly, and at the end of the 2002 season, he moved on. What do you remember about that? Oh, look, it was it was a lot of pressure around. I think I was at um, I think I was playing golf at Sanctuary Lakes when the call came through that the player would say I would got the being got a, the job uh, being anyway. a professional yeah, full-time that's footballer that's playing right. I had an afternoon golf. off. So we all got called back into the club um, that uh, that player was going to end at the end of the year from what I what I can remember and um, it it panned out that you know, um, a couple of the other guys uh, we all sort of had a bit of a team discussion around it. Nah, well, if he's going to end it ends. Uh, it yeah. ends. It ends now. Uh, that was just the decision that was made at the time, and um, and we moved on. We moved on past that. Um, Peter Rode took over for for a few games, and then Rode got the job for a couple of years after that. Was the consensus that he was leaving to go coach the city? We didn't Sports? know actually. Yeah, didn't know um, what was what was going on. Really, there, there may have been some that did. I certainly had no no idea at the time what was what was sort of happening. Um, but 
obviously it, it comes out in the wash that you know there was those elements around around the the, the swans and and what was going on there and the poor ruse and the whole scenario around around it all um, and at the end it he didn't end up doing that anyway um, because of the because of the scenario and um, player was went on to be successful at Richmond and had some good moments there and he's been great uh, ever since we still keep in touch today uh, any aspect of anything that we that we need we're always sort of touching base which is which is always good we had a good relationship and it seems like he left with a good relationship with most of the players yeah he did yeah very much so he had. Um, us, us sort of younger guys, it was probably myself and, and Darcy and Smitty and Westy and Nathan Brown and a few others that, that got along with him, you know, really well. And, um, and that doesn't change regardless of, you know, he steps away as coach, but the relationships you build are bigger than, bigger than that in, in some ways. So, um, we're always sort of able to, you know, keep in touch right throughout. He obviously had a good relationship with Nathan Brown because when he got the Richmond job, he took Nathan Brown to Richmond. How did that go down with the boys? Oh, that was, Which all was right. probably a blessing yeah. anyway. Yeah. Getting him, get him out of your club. Bronzy, Bronzy was a good man. I, I, I loved. Uh, well, he rocked in with a. a uh, he had the big mullet. Hair, yeah, yeah, he had the mullet. Boy from Bendigo walked That's in right. with the with the long blonde hair, and um, I don't know who had a word to him. It'd be good to find out actually why he decided to cut it in those early stages. It was back in the day where the coach probably said, "Hey, son, probably get rid of those those long locks," but. Um, I, I loved playing with him. Um, we used to train on each other. We're so similar in terms of the way we played, our height and all those sort he was of things. He very gifted player, wasn't he? Very, very smart. Very smart. Um, so we had some good, some good moments and he kicked some big bags with, with us. Um, and, you know, he even held the ball up after kicking seven and we end up losing the game because the cats, <laughs> things like that, which are hilarious. You laugh, we laugh about so much these days. And they're the things you remember. But he was he was on fire. Before he broke his leg at, at Richmond, he was. he was on fire. Yeah. So he could he could seriously play. And he loved playing for Plough um, as well. Plough got the best out of Nathan Brown, no question. Do you, do you know my funniest story? And it's away from football with Nathan Brown. <laughs> How he, uh, like he was, he was an unbelievably gifted player, unbelievable skills, and um, yeah, just had that unbelievable knack at knowing where the goals were and and just reading play. But um, you know, he, he was into his his clothing, so he set up a business <laughs> with friend. Craig, Craig Ellis, Ellis, yeah, and they, you know, they begged, borrowed, and stole everything just to try and get it going. Mm-hmm. And then he pulls the pin and says, "No, nah, this is this is not happening." <laughs> then Craig Ellis goes on travels the world. He he, he then uh, buys this uh, swimwear brand, Triangle, and he turns himself into a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so so Nate pulled the pin, and uh, he said, oh, "I'll I'll work on the footy show with yeah. with Bill and and Damo and That's TJ." It. <laughs> Whereas uh, Craig Ellis has He's turned himself into a billionaire, <laughs> making swimwear. Yep. So, what about that, Quinny? Yeah. Well, they're, they're still they're still really close mates, which is which is good. Sometimes it can go either way when you have a business with a teammate or something. And hey, Nate, why don't you come to well? Mallorca and uh, hang out on my boat <laughs> for a couple of weeks if you'd like? I can't get there at the moment. Oh, but I, I love stories like that. that yep. That's just you know footage. Bet he does it. But Br- Brandy no, was stories where you know someone like a Craig Ellis. Mm goes on oh. to, you know, do so well in business. I think that's awesome. Yep, I agree. And Brownie was probably the – he's been regarded as the best international rules player of all time with <laughs> with his skill. From himself. Maybe. Maybe. Jared Healy rates him number one 
player of, of all time in terms of his ability to to use the um, to use the round ball. Actually, that's why I love those sort of things because we played a little bit of international rules together, Crawf, Crawf and I. And I remember being in Perth one time and we're just walking in the park and the next thing this bloke trots past us and he's got the backpack on and he's throwing the frisbee around. I'm thinking, but he's just out running. And that's that's the sort of stuff that I used to <laughs> I used to love about being involved in these things because you'd see what guys were doing the very best to to be the best um, and they never they never let it lie you know never relaxed on it although we had good time never never relaxed on it I remember rooming with Mark Rusciuto my first ever one the Adelaide just beaten us in '98 oh. we're hating the Adelaide Crows so, put you together. so they put me with Mark Rusciuto so I've turned up and he's he's in the he's in the bedroom and he's got the He's got the big top off, and he turns around. He's got the big tattoo on the back, and I'm, I'm like, oh my god, what, what have I walked into here? And he's like, Jono, let's forget everything. We're going to the gym. I went, yes, Mister Rashido, we're going to the gym. <laughs> so we went to the gym, pumped some iron, oh, went no. for a run, and that was it. We're we connected straight away. It's uh, it's it's amazing, isn't it? When uh, you get put in environments, and all of a sudden, especially at that uh, yeah. at that level, you know, out of the country. Oh, well, what do you do? you got to do it. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing experience as those Aussie tours. History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab. Long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858. After a couple of tough years at the Dogs, Rodney Ede comes in. What do you remember about the Rocket? Yeah, the Rocket had a presence about him. Don't worry about that. Off the the fact he coached Sydney and you hear the you know the stories and how passionate he was at, at the Swans and um, he didn't mind you know getting a bit emotional and, and those sort of things. And so we, we had that in the back of our sort of back of our minds but he had a year off so when he arrived it was like how good is Rodney Eade sort of thing like he we started off a bit tense and I remember the first ever session we did a training session and he he got us just to play basic handball games and then after about five minutes he called us in he goes what are you blokes doing like seriously what what are you trying to achieve here and then he got the group and he goes okay if you're an AFL if you think you're an AFL player come and stand here if you think you're not stand here and there was only about 10 of us, I reckon, that went and stood on the AFL side, maybe a few more. And he goes, okay, look at this, boy. This this is our problem right here. We don't have enough of you that believe you're, you're good enough. So he spent that whole next six months, um, pretty much 12 months, bridging the gap between the guys that thought and, and were playing regular senior footy to the guys that were in and out of the side a lot. And he brought through in, in all of that, obviously, then he had Adam Cooney and John Syracuse and Murphy and Lake and Hargrave and talk about a, a, a nucleus of, of guys that were able to take the club forward. So uh, Peter Rode had played a lot of those young guys uh, throughout his couple of years, which gave them good grounding. And Rodney Ede had the experience to grab those guys and fast track them to become you know, unbelievable players within uh, within the team environment. What a challenge. If you're standing there and this new intimidating coach comes in and says, stand here if you think you're an AFL yep. player and stand here if you're not, obviously you two absolute elite players would not hesitate. But a lot of players go, hang on, am I going to get yeah, a spray either way here? You don't, you don't know what where the conversation's going. You yeah. know what I mean? So you, you, you second guess yourself. Yeah, you do. You, like, you okay, do a little bit. Oh, am I? What's the trick here? Yeah. And that's something because coaches can trick you. We, we know that over time. There's, so, always, there's always a player... 
who is in the wrong spot. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah, always yeah, a player yes. who wanders over and you think, and he's never oh. played a game. <laughs> What's he doing here? <laughs> Was there any in that group? No, I can't remember. <laughs> there might have been. There's but I, like, I don't mind it either, you know what I mean? A bit of confidence to say, hey, yeah, I'm here for here for a reason. Um, and I think Rodney wanted to see a little bit of that as well. And, yeah, but majority stayed here for that reason. They were young and, you know, felt they played games but didn't feel like they were they were there yet, which was probably good for, for him to work with them, to mentally drive them to get um, – get to a, a, a level and I was I was a bit old I was 27 28 at the time and and I thought you know you get to that age and you think your footy's at a level and you think that's where it's going to be now for the rest of rest of your career but even individually Rodney Ede was able to take you know even my game to a level that I'd never expected to to achieve as a as a player and that was around the tactics and his thoughts on the game the way I should play the game all those sort of things were were so so cool at the time to learn and it, it, it had a huge benefit and not dissimilar to when Plough took over, things for the club elevated pretty quickly. Yeah, they did. We um, we played finals pretty quickly. Um, 2006, we hadn't played finals for, for six years. And then 2006, we got an opportunity. We played Collingwood at the G. It was Smitty's 299th. So we wanted to get into 300. We win the game at the, the G. We go to West Coast and lose to, to the West Coast Eagles in 06. Pretty good team. And then 07, I think we just missed. We were like... Eighth and ninth, I think it came down to like it was this round, where we were at Spotswood RSL watching. I think it was Essendon and Melbourne, and we had to rely on one of the teams to win or lose to get into the finals, and we didn't. We didn't make it, and then and then oh eight, nine, and ten turned into a, you know three really strong years for the for the footy club. Of the three, is oh nine the one that still keeps you awake at night? Yeah, it is. We because we we're seven points up in the last quarter, and then Nick Rewalt went to work and kicked a couple of kicked a couple of goals. So, yeah, that was that was probably the one. You know, like we were in control of the game. We had great tactics. We were executing really well. Everything was was spot on. After th- after half time, goals were so hard to come by, and you know we just bridged a gap and we kept the gap in the game. And Lakey, you know, pretty much nudged Nick Rewalt. He went down, so therefore he gets a free kick. Easy goal, right in front of goal, and that sort of started to change the dynamic of the game it hurts, a little it? bit. Yeah, when they're so hard to come by, and then off that we battled away, battled away. Last quarter pressure came on, and we were kicking inside a lot to because St Kilda set up so well down the line, and that's when they'd, they'd shift from that position. But when the pressure came on, we just went down the line too often in that in that last quarter when we got the seven points up. They were able to slingshot a couple of times from that. And um, and score. So it was that was probably the one. Oh uh, eight was more of a, a learning curve. To you know, we're here again. Yeah, we're disappointed we didn't win. Oh nine was the opportunity. Ten will will beaten up. Yep. We had players just you know hobbling out there in uh, in two thousand and ten, and we just just couldn't get the job done. You can't do it, can you? No, not in today's footy. You, no. you can't carry too many players. You might be able to carry one, but you just can't carry too many, especially mm. if you know they're a huge question mark to to get through the whole That's match. That's right. And we spoke about your great run playing just about in each and every game over the course of 1995 to 2009. Unfortunately, that changed in 2010. You went into the season with an Achilles injury and then like a skit from Monty Python, <laughs> you were run down on the training track by a golf cart. <laughs> who, put, who, who decided to bring golf carts onto a footy field? Seriously, Croft. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I was. Not I was, only with that, I was when, when you're driving cart. and you see... You, you, the player was on the phone. <laughs> one of the all-time, you know, great players of the football club. No. Who you know, he's a bit injured at the moment. We better look after no, him. Put some context around it. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't like I was mowed down in the, in the middle of the field. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying you're mowed wind. down, but <laughs> you just run me so up. hang on. You, you know when to put the brake on oh. and when not to, and when there's a player veering into your space. It's no. peripheral vision. Yeah, something yes. you had. I was right in front of him, but no. It's not I that battled hard, my Achilles all, all pre-season pretty much, and I, just before Christmas, I felt it the first time, and we're doing a distance run, and Ben um, Ben Hudson ran past me in a distance run, <laughs> and I went, "Hang on, geez, I'm really battling here, aren't I?" So I I had to I was sore, said something, and then basically didn't do much for the rest Is of the that summer. When the silver bullets came, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> they don't work on the Achilles, mate. Well, they, yes, they no, do. They don't. You just got to push it in a bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it didn't work on the Achilles. I'm going to get Quinny one of these. Yeah, just in yes, case. When next it. time he has got a sore back, nah, it feels much better. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm sweating, sweating bullets now. <laughs> so yeah, so I I battled, got back for round one, played round one, felt pretty good. And then um, I was just having some shots at goal early in the week, um, and then. Basically, had a shot, stepped backwards. He took he took off forwards, and he didn't hit me that hard. Like seriously, it wasn't that hard. But there was a box underneath it, and it clipped clipped my Achilles. So my Achilles didn't rupture, and it hadn't ruptured. It was just really thick and aggravated. And so I got rid of the thickness, which took took a bit, and then um, it just basically swelled up instantly again. And then I battled battled all year. Unfortunately, it was it was an interesting one. You see players with Achilles these days, and having lived it. I tried everything. I went to the AIS. I went to, you know, calf strengthening places. I went to the, the tendon flickers to release the blood flow, did it all and battled for the entire year. I used to go in and see Zimmer and um, Essendon's um, Doc Reed used to, used to put this thing on me and pummel my Achilles. And I used to sleep in a splint so that my foot was, um, my Achilles was stretched all the time because that was the worst part in the mornings when you've relaxed and you'd wake up and walk for the first time. You'd crawl out of bed because of the pain that was that was going up. And so I tried everything and couldn't get rid of it. And and I think part of it was load-based as well in the end. I was obviously getting a bit older and the loads had sort of just caught up with me a bit. But then I finished playing and I did nothing for a month, of course, and I've never felt it again since. So, so yeah, it's one amazing. of those where you go, oh. I, I mentally couldn't stop. And it was partly me, yep. but if I just had have been told just stop, um, might have been might have been different because I, it just went away. Yeah, it was, it was it's interesting. Do you look back now with a little bit of a regret that you didn't push on and you could have played even longer if it did settle no, down? No, like I was that. I was well and truly ready. Yeah, sort of in your mind. I, I don't know. I, I set myself up each getting into that sort of period. I was on one year deals, and each year I'd sort of get to a point in the off season where you're running and you're jumping on treadies and doing all that, and I'd I'd commit. Yep, yeah, I've got. I've got one more. I've got two more. And I got to that um, end of 09 into 2010, signed the one-year deal. And in my mind, I'm like, yep, this is all I've got left. I've got one more crack at it. You played in so many big and special games, but probably none more so than your 300 that was against Adelaide at the Docklands. You kicked five second-half goals, three in the last seven minutes, and the Dogs <laughs> win a thriller by three points. Oh, gee. Talk about getting lucky again, because I think it was Nathan Bock had a shot after the siren for the Crows, and he missed it. So, um, trust me, I've been there a couple of times as well. It's amazing you haven't brought those up along the way as well, uh, Quinny, but that's, uh, that's the nature of it. We got lucky on that day. You know, we had a good second half. Uh, I was lucky that the ball fe- it literally fell my way a couple of times. It wasn't as if, you know, I was outworked my opponent and was in the right spot. It literally just fell in my arms a couple of times and one of those was in the goal square and yeah, it was it was pretty emotional. It was it was good fun to be um to be a part of the club did the clubs do such a good job with those sort of things and the build up was was quite big. 
Um, and it was it was it was great fun to yeah to be a part of it. But the W was the most important thing. It was round one. We wanted to get off to a flyer, and we're able to do it. You, you look at um, those three hundred milestones, and the clubs do a great job, but the players do an even better job because you know you've kicked five only recently. Um, Jack Revolt plays 300, absolutely dominates. Um, If you look through the history, a lot of the players that, uh, you know, have chalked up 300, it's – they've always had pretty, you know – Pretty enthralling games, really, when you think about it. Goals, possessions, impact on the game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Joel Salwood recently – actually, Tom Hawkins plays his 300 this week. He probably, you know, probably kicked six. So, yeah, you're right in terms of – in that – Aspect of things, Boomer Harvey was doing it at four hundred, but that's a <laughs> that's a whole different story, isn't it? Pipes, <laughs> yeah, yes. spit it out the way you play. Look, and in two thousand and sixteen, you're six years retired from footy, and the Western Bulldogs do something you probably never thought you'd see. Walk us through that magnificent day against the Sydney Swans. Oh, it was it was huge. Like the whole final series was was massive because we played Frio in round twenty three and got smacked in Perth. The week off, they get three or four players back. So the first time that's, you know, happened. And you they you don't have any break, you don't win the flag. No, I, don't, I agree with that because they, they wouldn't have – they might have got the players back, but they that extra week certainly helped. And they went back to Perth and played the ground differently. Against Frio, they, they lost they, – all their forwards were up high. Big ground at Subiaco. It was impossible. So they actually held their forwards in that final against West Coast, and it, and it helped because the Bulldogs were such a – a dynamic dynamic team off half back. They would run hard off half back with Johannesson and and these guys that were were dominating. So, you know, then all of a sudden Dunkley and Pickin fire up and um, so we win that first final. It was amazing. I thought, how how good's that? Great achievement. Come back, play the play the Hawks at the at the MCG and the Bulldogs were twenty four points down. I think at halfway through the second, the Bont turned it on and they went in, in front at halftime and that was the moment I probably thought realistically we could we could win it. The fact that we started to get on top of the best team of, of that era um, and changed the dynamic of, of the game was probably the most significant part in that final series. The the prelim final against um, GWS was just wow, a, it was a intense. Game, hey? oh, I'm sitting with Mitch Hahn, so we're, we're at... Um, up in Sydney at their their stadium, and it was when the when they ran out, the boo that went around the stadium was like it was a Bulldogs home game anyway. The amount of the faithful that that went up there, and and it was it was just on. And Mitch and I were pretty cool for three quarters, or pretending <laughs> to be cool for three quarters, and then that last quarter, we just like we were a wreck, absolute yeah. wreck. But just the the way they they won it, the way they held on, uh, the way they played was was huge. And then and then the grand final was. Um, was was massive. It was. An I was emotional so confident in the grand final that the Bulldogs were going to win. I just, I just knew. I, I just knew because Beveridge had coached with Franklin. Yes. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, I reckon he'll do a job on him. If you look back at that game, Buddy was just surrounded. There was just no time or space anywhere, and I'm like, ah, Bulldogs are going to win this match. Mm. Um, so, what what an incredible day! And and as people who love football. And you're always hoping for sides that haven't had success there for a little while to do really well. Everyone was on the Bulldogs bandwagon. Everyone was wanting the dogs to do well. Well, and it had been so long, you know, 54. And that's where, for me, it was maybe a little bit different to others because I grew up supporting the club. So I'd been waiting, you know, 35, 40 years myself to to be able to celebrate Mm -hmm. a flag. I grew up in the 80s watching Essendon Hawthorne every single you know, every single week. That's where I grew to to love the game because my dad was an Essendon supporter, so he was passionate about the Bombers and and that period of time. And so that's what I that's what I watched. And I never got to experience the Dogs. Eighty five, they got close. Um, Ninety two, they got close. Other than that, it was 
it was the same throughout our career, my career. We got close, but never had that chance to actually jump into a grand final and and be seriously a chance to to win it. So, so I rode the emotions all day. I had to vote on the Norm Smith, oh, did which, you? Was, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was an error in in itself. You know, um, it was an honour. Don't get me wrong, but the the emotions of ups and downs and trying to watch the game as as well was um, was a tough task. But so we, got, we at, got there in the end. Do you yeah. look at possessions with that as nah, well? No, a little, a little bit of no, do, do you take notes vis- quarter visually. by quarter? No, I, like, I gave Johannesson three. Josh Kennedy from Sydney two. Josh Kennedy yep. was unbelievable, and Tom Boyd won in yep. that in that game. I nearly gave the Bont votes. He was probably the most effective player on the ground. wasn't as higher in possessions. And Liam Pickham was a, was a star, but even right. even the prelim, Clay Smith kicks four in the prelim right. to, to yes. win the win the Bulldogs the game pretty much. So things like that that um, that evolved in that whole period of players that are no longer at the club that just had unbelievable months of footy and were able to hold up the Premiership Cup. Siren goes off. What's going through your head? I was actually I was pretty much on the ground just as the siren went. So what happened was I was sitting in a bunch and a few of the board members sort of took off. And I was doing some stuff with, with Fox. So I said to, to Donna and the kids, I said, let's go. So there's there about three minutes to go. And so they took off. I'm like, we're going to – we'll get through. So I just jumped on the back of them and, and down, we, down we all went. Up the race, siren went. So we're standing on the, on the turf yep. as soon as the siren went. So the players were going nuts. Everyone was going nuts. We sort of just stood back and – and took the took the whole thing in, and um, and Fox just were great. They just said, just go and do whatever you need to do. And so we're out there for the whole time, the celebrations, the lap of honour. We're just sort of standing back, taking it all in. It was great for the kids. Then after that, down into the rooms, you know, interviews. I interviewed Chris Hemsworth after, <laughs> after the game. So he's in the rooms with the family, mad Bulldog supporters. So here I am um, chatting, to, chatting to Chris, and it, it was great. Like, what a... Um, an opportunity to uh, to chat to him about um, about the day and the emotions in the in the rooms and and that sort of stuff was was huge. I remember I, gra- I grabbed his bicep crawl and I had to go back for a second take. It was that, it was seriously that big. You think? Hang on, that was on. that was like was Mark Pashuda. Yeah, when I was doing weights with him. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably embarrassed myself a little bit there, but it was uh, it, it was it was too. so good. It's sensational that so many of the Bulldogs players lived and breathed that day with the team as well. Well, even Darcy's call I thought was brilliant. You know the emotion that that went with that. And you're right, there was there were so many of us that were was so pumped for for the footy club to achieve it and and what it did it it set the club up for hopefully forever you know instead of chasing our tail for so long all of a sudden 2016 put us so far in front that financially the club has been able to make some really strong decisions they're a strong club now um, and they can con- continue to push forward off the back of, of of winning it and that's why you sit there now and go okay if we don't win it this year you hope that Melbourne might because of how long it's been you know and what it can do for the supporters and the club and and all these things that you, you're trying to achieve we experienced it not that long ago and you can see the turnaround off the back of it but no no that the, the club appreciates everything that you and, and mm. you know, all the players that came before that 2016 Premiership side because you, you kept the club alive, you kept them hugely competitive, you know, you gave them, you know, a real sort of um, – a real uh, membership base to build off, um, you know, and I don't think the clubs forget that. They, they realise – because they were tough years. In the early – or in the 90s was tough mm. to stay alive, to keep the clubs going and so forth. So – that's one thing I think the clubs do really well. You know, they appreciate, you know, all the effort. So it's it's nice that they still pretty much, 
you know, you feel very much oh, involved both, and loved. We both experienced and, it, didn't we? Like mergers and potential yeah. mergers, I should say, and, you know, clubs, the club folding and, mm. you know. We Shaking took, the we, 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 we took, no, 89 that was, so um, that, that saved the club initially. We, we took a, a 15% pay cut at one point, you know, as players um, because – the club was was if we didn't the club, you know, wouldn't have been able to trade. So there was there was a lot of things. You're right that you, that you do along the way, and that was my journey. Before that, there were other players that sacrificed, you yeah. know, to to make sure the club would and and administrators and and supporters that would make sure the club would would survive. So that's why you know to be able to experience 2016. So we we love that. Imagine winning like the three peat or three over four years and things like that. What position that puts the club in in terms of you know the. Well, you look the, at the, the Tigers now. After what one can do, yeah. 100,000 memberships. Yeah. Second Massive. year of COVID crisis. Yep. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. Like, it is. wow. And they, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the members can't go to the football. That's right. They're still handing over hard-earned money. So yep. it's pretty special. But clubs like the Bulldogs and, and Hawthorne, you know, we were very much there in the early 90s, mid-90s. So um, there's a lot of players out there. You know, the Demons, you look at the Demons, you hope that they have success you know, there's so many people that have put so much hard work in, and I have no doubt that the clubs go. You know, they recognise it. They, it's all part of their history, and it's it's such a significant, um, you know, part of their history as and well. And I can see it with the D's fans at, at the moment. You listen to you know Gary when he talks, but my extended family are all Melbourne supporters. And they're, they're that nervous at the moment. They're, they're feeling what we did in in, in twenty. They need to win the first final. I reckon they're. They're, they're, they're away. Oh, I reckon but it's, lose, lose both you games can, straight can, out. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, that's a chance to happen. But everyone hoped to get some so don't worry. Honestly, it's, uh, <laughs> I, can, I can feel the, the intensity, and, and, and having lived it, it's, it's real. It is. Yeah, yeah you, you oh. do. You get very nervous. You just want the teams to do their best. And yeah, that's all that's you it. hope for. Go out, have a crack, do your best. But what's happened off the back of the weekend, a marvellous win, and it was just spectacular to see you know a side come back against a very good side mm. like that is that the football world goes, oh, okay, they're now number one seeds. But it's not that easy. No. You can't just turn up and think it's all going to happen. You've got to make it happen, and it's going to be a tough month. Well, especially with the fact that, you know, you've got Port Adelaide, the only team playing at home. Everyone else is, you know, on on the road and could be on the road for, for four weeks. So it's it's very challenging, you know. The yeah. Melbourne would have loved to, the MCG, you know, packed house, you know, home deck. But this is another challenge they they've got to experience and overcome. That's right. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they'll just have to try and win it again next year <laughs> at the MCG <laughs> if they can get across That's the line it. this year. Fingers and toes crossed. We're all back by then. Jono, we've loved having a chat today. We're going to finish with some fun ones, some hard-hitting ones, though. <laughs> Who gave you the nickname The Smiling Assassin? I think that was Rex Hunt. Yeah, back in the back in the day. So, um, as as he did, he had nicknames for for everyone. So, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Rex who came up with it. And it's stuck. Best sledge yeah. you ever heard on the footy field? Oh, best sledge. Oh, crikey! Oh, I can't remember too many too many sledges. Um, ben Hudson was probably the best at it, but from what I'm what I'm told around centre bounce and he'd do research during the week to actually sledge, <laughs> sledge his direct opponent which is which is quite funny um, so you wouldn't want it a newspaper article or anything leading up to a game against Hutto uh, but outside of that no I can't sort of remember too many best footy trip memory oh uh, I loved it. Um, it was... Where was your best oh, footy we, trip? We had so many, honestly. Yeah, we had our, our ones Wait, to like, LA and Vegas, Queenstown, oh, I thought you were going to say, like, you know, coming from the western suburbs, <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to nah. try and scent. Uh, we were struggling a bit, so we'd nah. just go to the country and nah. camp. No, nah, so we um, we had a couple of good ones in, in Hong Kong. There's a f- 
one that you, you know with the esky lid going down the down oh, the yes. road and famous Adam yeah, that, slide yeah the slide and and all of that going on but the actually the year before we had we had Daniel Cross and Tom Williams jump into the Hong Kong River and save a girl who was trying to commit suicide. So oh like, it was phenomenal. They, these guys were just walking to get on this junk boat that Colby had organised for yep. us to go have some beers and cruise around the harbour, see the lights, and we're walking along. And this young girl just jumped in the in the harbour, and the boys did not hesitate. It was the most amazing thing. They were straight in. And Cross, I remember Crossy um, grabbed the girl, and then we throw the life boy down to her. We're, we're pulling her up the, the big wall, and basically, um, you know, off the off the back of that, she she let her arm straight up again, and she's fallen straight back down and landed on Tommy Williams's head. He's underneath the water. We're like yelling and screaming. Next thing, he pops up like Superman, holding her. Crossy grabs her again, takes her to a ladder about fifty meters up. Paul takes her up the ladder. Police had arrived. Um, and wow. they, they took her to hospital, which was and the, and the guys received a um, bravery award and and all those sort of things from the Hong Kong government. It was it was Jeez. it was un, unbelievable. So you've got the fun side of things, and then you've got these stories where you go, you know, these guys are just amazing people. Yep. You know, to to not hesitate in in that situation to to save a young girl's life was was phenomenal. So yeah, we had fun. We had great trips to some of the best parts of of the world. Um, along the way, and we've all got stories to tell from them. That's incredible. Yeah. And and what about uh, you? You talk about the Adam Cooney stuff as well, sliding down. <laughs> like that was the biggest fear. Is um, and I know uh, Hawthorne had a famous story with Jason Dunstall <laughs> being arrested while the police surrounded him and a couple of other players. And Alan Jeans got called the coach. And he went down yep, and sorted he, it out. Yeah, and he said, "Listen, you can shoot those other two, but don't <laughs> shoot the one in the middle because I need him." So the other, other two were fringe players. Um, so that's the famous story. But are you not worried that? Oh, hang on, you, hang, if you get arrested, no, I don't think that, we can help you. No, but at that time, at that place in Hong Kong, it wasn't just it wasn't just sort of our group that was everyone was was partying, was partying and, and doing it and yep. um and all that sort of stuff and and it was basically filmed and it was it was put on as crazy man Lang Kwai Fong and so uh, I'd <laughs> retired that was my last year so we came back and I got told about it and I think the club knew about it um and then they tried to sort of get rid of it and because there was nothing really yep. um too much about it and then just over that next two month sort of period it just started to creep out you know what i mean more people started to see it laugh about it the news got it and and ran with yep. it um so and then the rod i remember rodney Ede, the boys telling me that rodney Ede spoke to the boys about the ones that were on the video unfortunately were all at operation so <laughs> you know coons had a knee off i think oh. and lucas markovic had the the shoulder and um uh andrew hooper was was um one of the most amazing things I've ever seen is a worm over a car. <laughs> That's probably got to be one of the hardest things you ever do. Um, so, look, it was it was it was never an intense moment or anything like that. It was just yeah. all in good fun. Like I said, there was thousands in the street all doing mucking around and just you know, it was fun. just it was just good fun. Yeah. yeah. And what about uh, you? Know, you played with some amazing players. Gee, like it goes on and on. But um, one player. Jason Akamanis, who came to the football club. But, uh, you know, we've all played with a lot of tight players um, in our past. Um, and even today, you know, they don't even shout a beer when you're out. They're always <laughs> always leaving before the bill comes out. And, oh, yeah, here's my 20 bucks. And, like, hang on, we've had a, a five-star meal with steaks and all sorts of things. Uh, but was it true that he used to go on footy trips and make money? Oh. 
Oh, is I that don't true? Know. Oh, not with us. No? Not with us. Or maybe that's yeah, the Brisbane might have been his Brisbane. Might have been, okay, his Brisbane right. might have been his Brisbane maybe, days. Maybe he sort of worked himself out of that yeah, by, by the, the time, time he, he got to the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's it. So, no, he was... Um, he was one of the chief organisers for Mad Monday and bits and pieces. He, he loved that yep. that aspect, um, that aspect of it. It was just a real shame the way that it that ended up. We had three th- three years, I think, together, yep. and it was it was good. The last year just um, just fell away um, for the reasons that we we all know about, and that's just the the life of as as it was. Twenty ten ended up being a pretty hard year for, for everyone, making some tough decisions at the club, and um, Acker was on the on the end of it. All right, I'll uh, I'll throw a couple of names at you and just one word answer. Yeah, you know, describing these players: Chris Grant, Rolls Royce. That's two. Sorry, that's all right. That's yeah. cool. Um, Scotty West, oh, superstar, Liberatore, Tony, dogged. <laughs> yeah, yep, <laughs> very dogged. Brian Lake Harris. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is the this is the one I wanted. Nah. I'm like, how would you? How do you? Describe how do I describe him in one word? Uh, he's a he's a, a different cat. He's a different cat. But he's a he was a gun player, absolute gun. Yeah, absolute gun. He was. He was a yeah. very good player. Yeah. You just didn't want him kicking it when he decided to go for a run into all that. No, space. that's like, every every now and then he'd, he'd get in trouble for being the goalkeeper <laughs> under, under Rodney Eade. But he was he was a Rocket sort of Brian took it the right way. I remember one. I remember one time is that we're playing in it. One time I got we're playing at Optus Oval and Jose Ramiro punched me before the game and he like winded me. I'm down the ground. He's like, "You're not switched on today. You switch on." And I'm like, "I'm doing the warm up." Jose he put me down. Everyone's looking, going, "What are you? What are you doing?" But he he I had a good relationship with Jose. He knew what what I needed, and so I thought I'd, I'd get Lakey. You know, he had a poor performance the week before in a, in a losing game. I'll, I'll go up to him and I'll. I'll pre-game and I'll just blindside him and put him up against the wall and say, you're not switched on today, I need you, we need you, that sort of stuff. So I'm waiting for him, all, all warm up, and I couldn't get him in the right spot. And he goes off to the toilet, so here's, here's my opportunity. So I'll wait for him next to the next to the wall, he comes around, I go to grab him, I go, oh, and he grabs me and puts me up against the wall. He goes, what are you doing? I said, you're not switched on. He goes, yes, I am. I said, all right, you're ready to go. And out we went. So he can't remember it. I um, I, I remember it um, so clearly. Um, but uh, the big fella can't can't remember it. He must have been switched on and in a in a in a zone. So, but he was a he was a strong bugger. Yep. Oh, he was he was seriously a, a, a strong unit. Yeah, he he could always play. And what about the famous Will Minson spray? <laughs> like I know Rodney, the Eads smartest says, dumb bloke I've ever met. <laughs> he says he's flying planes now, isn't he? I think he he does. Oh, all Will Will was an engineer. He's a he's a he's a jet. What a what a guy. Yeah. Um, su- and, super and guy. And yeah, and flying jets. flying everything. He's he's a smart he's a smart guy, and um, he was he was a brilliant teammate. So Ro- Rodney Eads, the famous spray. Um, you know, you got Leon Cameron in there telling him, "Shut up, we can't concentrate." You know, he was an assistant coach oh, at the time yeah, in the coach's spot. So, and Rodney Eads said, "Nah, it's you know editing. This is what they've done." <laughs> but that that's Rodney Eade, wasn't it? Yep. He would just launch. But like the that. funny thing was, and. The aspect of it, he'd launch in the coach's box and visually that's what everyone would see him going absolutely nuts, you know, we'd make a mistake and all of that. He was just getting it all out. But when he came down to us, he was that calm and composed about what we needed to do, where we needed to go. So we, as much as visually you'd see that, we wouldn't receive that um, yeah. as, as as players. Every now and then you get emotional and, and that's fine. That's the nature of, of coaching and, and the win-loss nature. But overall, when you look at the overall side of things, we rarely got 
that emotion. It was always calm, considered. He'd grab you on the forearm. You knew he was serious. Otherwise, he'd be putting his arm around you and having a good chat. It's pretty simple. Yep. Favourite footy memory and biggest footy regret? <sighs> Favourite footy memory would be my, my the favourite memories was always jumper presentation night every year. I loved it because you'd work hard for a summer, you achieved your jumper. Yeah. So I really enjoyed, you know, that aspect of, of footy. Um, and then obviously the the five minutes after the siren, everyone says it because you can actually be yourself and, you know, you relax for five minutes in the rooms before the coach, you know, calls you in after working hard to, to achieve it. Um, biggest, biggest regret. I don't, I don't have too many because I sit comfortably knowing I put absolutely everything into, into it for, for a long period of time. Um, so from, from that point of view, no, could I have done things differently in some of the, the bigger games? I would have liked to have played some bigger finals, no question. Um, but that's just the nature of, you know, trying to rate your performance and, and doing more to try and get uh, the side over the line in big games. Brad, you're an absolute superstar. Listeners are going to be going out there trying to do their back on the back of this interview. Thank you so much for having a chat today. It's been great fun, boys. Thank you so much for having me in. Good on you, Jono. And punish you've been listening to Inside 50. History beckons. The AFL footy finals are here. Be a part of the action with Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, anytime goal kicker and total disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available during the entire final series on the Tab app and website. Build your AFL Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858.